This is What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. This episode, I'm so happy to have on the best-selling author, Sonia Menon, who comes on to talk about her latest book coming out on July the 21st, 10 Things I Hate About Pinky. So excited to talk uh, to Sonia, getting into sort of her writing journey and her process and everything in between. So listen in. So Sanja, what book hooked you? I would say the book that hooked me as a writer specifically was um, Sophie Kinsella's uh, The Undomestic Goddess, which is one of her early standalone uh, romantic comedies. And um, prior to that, I had, like everybody in the world, I think I had read her Shopaholic series and really loved those. But with The Undomestic Goddess, there was something that I just felt was magical about the story. It was so accessible and funny and smart. And I just remember I finished the book and I was like, I'm going to try my hand at writing a romantic comedy. So that's kind of what did it for me. (laughs) And so it sounds like before Undomestic Goddess that uh, you were a big reader, especially in romance Uh, leading up to this, correct? Definitely, yes. I mean, I was a big reader in just about every genre. Um, Ever since I was little, I was a genre agnostic reader. I would (laughs) read whatever you put in front of me. But yeah, I was definitely a big romance reader. And so you mentioned uh, being a reader at a young age. Were there sort of big books or favorite books you had when you were young? Oh my gosh, so many. So like I said, um, I was very genre agnostic. I would read anything that I could find on my uh, parents' bookshelves. And my dad was a huge reader of Stephen King. Mm -hmm. And so he had just about every book King ever wrote. And I remember finding them at a very inappropriate age. I think I was like nine or 10 when I read Cujo, which was my introduction to Stephen King. And it scared the crap out of me. And I was completely hooked. I loved it. I think even back then, when I couldn't quite articulate what was so great about King's books, I just fell in love with how he characterized, um, you know, fear or even like Um, flawed characters that was one of my favorite things that he did was just his characters were so incredibly flawed and um, later on as an adult I actually read that he has no memory of writing Cujo because he was on cocaine the entire time which is incredible like I'm like okay if you could write like that on cocaine (laughs) like the rest of us have no excuse so um, but I just I remember King was definitely one of my very, very favorites early on. And so you mentioned how your Stephen King books came from your dad. So was reading just something that was very much a part of your family? It was something that uh, you were expected to be reading a lot and, and then you just happened to have a love for it also? Or was it kind of just kind of a more casual situation and, and you grew your love of books naturally? It was definitely something that was uh, a part of my family life. I remember from when I was very little, I always used to um, find my parents and then my sister, who was six years older than me, so quite a bit older, 
Um, they always had a book in their hand when they were, you know, having downtime. So it very much became part of what was what you just did when you mm. had downtime was you read, you know, this was the thing to do. And I was definitely one of those kids who, if you wanted to punish me, you would take away my books. Like that was the worst thing you could do. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was just like very normalized for me. And I realized that is a very privileged position sure. because, you know, a lot of people don't grow up in families like that. But I think that definitely paved the way for me to become a writer, even though I will say that my parents did not want me to become a writer at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so at what point you said uh, a domestic goddess, that is what really kind of sparked your interest of wanting to become a writer. Where, where were you in life when you came upon this book and you had that kind of motivation to pursue writing? It was, um, I would say I was probably in my mid 20s, um, or maybe even my early 20s. And I was um, still putting myself through college at the time. And I was uh, working a full time job at the same time. So I had no absolutely no time to be a writer. So it was very inconvenient. <laughs> but um, it was something that I'd always held on to. Like I said, my parents were like, Oh, writing is, is not a career that you can count on you will live under a bridge in a box if you try to become a writer. So what I did was I ended up going to college and grad school um, for something else completely different. And uh, writing was always supposed to be a hobby. So while Sophie Kinsella did fire up this, like, I'm going to write a romantic comedy, I worked on it on and off while I was in college and grad school. But really, I didn't finish my first book until I was um, in my late 20s. And at the time, I had two little ones at home. They're only a year apart. And I was going absolutely crazy because I made the decision <laughs> to stay home with them. And so I was like, I have to use my brain in some other way besides, you know, changing diapers and telling my toddler no for the 57th time. So um, my husband and I kind of came up with this schedule where he would go, you know, do the nine to five thing, come back, and then from five to midnight would be my time to disappear into the office and uh, try to make this writing thing work. And I was thinking, you know, I'm home. Um, if I want to do this, like now is the time to figure out if I really can. And so that was the first I wasn't maybe I was maybe 28, um, 29 when I finished my first uh, novel. And that was a romantic comedy. But oh, my God, it will never see the light of day. <laughs> so. As you're kind of going on this journey, like uh, being committed to it, how are you developing your craft? I guess I'll put it. How are you kind of learning how to write? Uh, are you just doubling up on the amount of books you're reading? Were there resources? Were there people you leaned on? How did you go about it? <clears throat> so for me, it was definitely a, a lot of trial and error. I remember being part of a couple of different writing groups um, back then. And really, uh, I know a lot of people really swear by their writing groups. My writing group uh, groups did not work for me because I found that, you know, it was a big deal for me to like get the time to leave my house. And, you know, I had to prepare uh, my kids and everything like that. And my husband was great. He would just take over. But I just, as a mom, I felt a lot of guilt about doing this, and it was quite a drive to get to the groups and everything. So it was a time commitment, 
But I felt like when I was there, um, and I was part of a couple of different groups, I felt like every time I was there, most of the time, probably like 80% of the time would be spent talking about writing Mm -hmm. as opposed to actually doing the work Mm -hmm. of writing or critiquing each other. And I eventually just came to the realization that maybe writing groups just weren't for me, you know, like, uh, I think that would work for a lot of people um, to be in that environment and, and kind of immerse yourself in that. But for me, I just felt like I was wasting time. And what I really wanted to do was, you know, I could have taken those two or three hours and written however many sure. um, words instead. So that's what I ended up doing. And um, I remember eventually I got on Twitter, like all of us writers do. Mm. And um, I ended up finding a small group of people on Twitter who were uh, fantastic. And they were they had the same goals as me. So at the time, I just did not have the headspace for traditional publishing because it's a long process of querying and then going on submission and then maybe selling your book. And I just, I wanted to do something that was just for me. And I found out about self-publishing. So I was like, you know what? I don't even care about readership or anything like that right now. It's just about writing these books and finishing them. And if like five people read the book, I'll be happy. So I started self-publishing and I found these people online who also wanted to self-publish. We were all kind of writing the same things We were at the same point in our career so we could support each other. And we ended up doing like writing sprints together where, you know, in the Mm -hmm. evening we'd all sit down after work or whatever and um, just set, you know, a couple of hours aside and we'd do like 30 minute sprints at a time and then we'd report our word counts to each other. So it was like a whole different level of accountability that I'd never had before. And Mm -hmm. it really worked out well. So I think for me it was just a matter of finding the people that I really gelled with. And um, it just, it was also great because Twitter, for anybody who is a an aspiring writer listening, Twitter is a great place to make all kinds of connections to, you know, readers and other writers and publishing professionals. So in that way, also, I felt like it really helped me grow as a fledgling writer. Hmm. And so you then self-published uh mm-hmm. And so was that, when you self-published, was that something, was that filling that need for you? Or did you feel still have this kind of dream to eventually go and try to get traditionally published? What were you kind of thinking once you had actually gotten something out there that people could access of yours? It's such a great question. Um, I had a really weird self-publishing kind of experience. So I was publishing under a different name. I didn't have any clue about uh, marketing or branding or any of those things that you're supposed to think about. So I was just writing all kinds of different things that just floated into my brain. So my first um, book that I put out was a dystopian novel. Mm. And this was at the time when it was 2012. And I think uh, publishers at the time were like, oh, the dystopian craze is over. We're not acquiring those anymore. So I thought, okay, well, that's fine because I'm self-publishing, so I can do whatever I want, and I'm going to publish this anyway. And that book did fairly well. It sold 10,000 copies, which was um, pretty good for a brand new writer who nobody had heard of. And so I was like, oh, great. So now, you know, all of these 10,000 people will buy my next book, no matter what I write. And that was, you know, me being completely green. And so I I wrote, instead of writing the sequel, which was what people were demanding, I ended up writing this like 
weird um, YA. It wasn't even really YA. It was like college age fiction. It was um, very dark and it was contemporary and had nothing at all to do with the first book. And I think maybe 500 people bought that in the course of its first year. Mm -hmm. And so it was like going, it was shooting up and having this success and feeling really good about yourself and then just completely dropping off a cliff. And um, that was the first time I kind of sat back and thought, you know, do I want to keep doing this? I mean, it it feels pretty crushing, (laughs) but... I, the answer was yes, because I still, I wasn't ready to start doing the whole querying thing yet. So I wrote something else. This time it was a paranormal romance. And that did uh, marginally better than my contemporary. And so I just kept writing in that series. By then I learned the lesson that people want more in a series. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that. And I would have these thoughts occasionally, like I would like to traditionally publish at some point. I was keeping up with the industry. Um, and very occasionally I would send out a query letter but I maybe query, queried like three times maybe uh, mm-hmm. over the course of three or four years. And uh, it was a rejection every time. They were nice rejections. They were like, oh, I wish, you know, I could take this on. I like your writing, but I'm just not um, representing this uh, genre right now or have too many of these kind of books. So I just kept happily self-publishing. And then one day I got this email in my inbox from who is now my agent and she had happened to download that weird contemporary book that only 500 people had read. I don't know how she even it like it even came up in Amazon's algorithms, but she downloaded uh, the ebook and she read it and she really liked it. And she was like, um, you know, I would like to offer you representation if you're interested. I think that you would be um, a really good traditionally published author if you're interested in that. And then we started talking and, you know, we both kind of came to the conclusion that our visions were the same for my career. And we went from there. So it was a really weird journey. And whenever I tell the story, people are always like, oh, so maybe I should self-publish to mm. find an agent. And I'm always like, that is not the takeaway here, because <laughs> I think like I think I'm the only um, person my agent has ever acquired like that. And I don't think she even ever reads self-published fiction anymore. So mm. <laughs> yeah, make of that what you will. So because you kind of fell into becoming traditionally published, when you think back, what was, what in your mind was the big, you know, obstacle boogeyman? What was like the big thing that you didn't want to confront when you thought about uh, really making like a full on effort to be traditionally published? It was just the fact that my kids were so young. Mm. Um, And I think my agent, she found me in 2013. And I didn't land the book deal for When Dimple Met Roshi until the end of 2015. So we were together two years before that even went anywhere. And at the time, I just really felt like I wasn't sure if I wanted to jump whole hog into writing as a career. Because like I said, I went to college and grad school for something completely different I had this story in my mind um, you know from my parents that writing wasn't a real career so I was always um, very cognizant of the fact that I wanted to be able to support my family on whatever income I made Uh, you know if I mean my husband always had a great job but I was like well if anything ever happens to him um, or we need to just rely on my income I want to be able to not worry about you know where healthcare or whatever else. So that was kind of holding me back. But um, once Dimple came out, so Dimple didn't come out until 2017. So it was like two years uh, or 
one and a half years after I sold it. And by then I was trying to do full-time work and full-time writing and it just wasn't working. And that's when I decided to go um, just full-time writing. And I realized I could do that and support everybody. But um, it was a, a really hard decision because I think if you're risk averse, like I am, then a creative career can be a really freaky sure. panic inducing experience. <laughs> sure. And so even when you were self-publishing uh, your books, may while they may not have been securely in YA, they at least maybe lean towards that. So when do you first remember kind of interacting with books that you realized this is a YA book uh, as we know them now? Oh, um, I was reading YA well before I was self-publishing. So I read, you know, um, The Hunger Games and Twilight and um, PC cast books and Vampire Academy. And I read all of those um, and really loved them. I read John Green. Um, but I just didn't see myself as a YA author. So that one contemporary was college-aged, but everything else was like, you know, very, very adult. It was definitely not um, crossover or anything like that. So I just, I didn't see myself as a YA author. And I don't know why, because I was certainly reading it. But it wasn't until, and this is why agents are so great. It wasn't until my agent was like, you know what? You have a voice that I think could transfer really well to YA. Would you consider writing that? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Me, write YA, you know. And then um, my editor from Simon & Schuster actually approached my agent and said, "We're looking. I'm personally looking for a romantic comedy YA writer. Do you have anybody on your list who you think might work well with me? And my agent just about like pushed me forward and was like, this one, she's not doing anything. She's just sitting on my list right now. So she told me, you know, what do you think of this? And I, at that point I was like, I'll try it. I mean, I've, I've literally not been writing very much at all since we signed together. So um, why not? And, and that kind of like changed my life and it changed my writing life for sure, because I found I really enjoyed YA and it was just like a, a breath of fresh air to write YA. So I'm so glad that she did that. So your first book came out in May of 2017. And I always remember that because I think my, I started this podcast like at the beginning of May of 2017. Oh, cool. So, so I was kind of watching from a distance. So the, your first book, your first traditionally book, uh, excuse me, your first traditionally published book comes out and it hits the New York Times bestseller list. What was that like to like <laughs> out of the gate sort of while you had been publishing in the past, having the first book have that type of success? It was crazy. So when Dimple Met Rishi was what they call a sleeper hit in that um, it was acquired for um, just very little amount of money. It wasn't meant to be a bestseller. It, you know, it was kind of like, we'll buy this book and then we'll see like, you know, what else we can, we can do with you kind of thing. It wasn't really, it wasn't an auction uh, acquisition or anything. So like I said, I kept my day job. I was like, yeah, I'll sell this book. And then maybe I'll sell another one a year or two down the road. We'll see how it goes. And maybe I'll want to write adult or something else. And then um, I think it was after the, the cover was revealed, it just started getting so much buzz. And I think part of that was just, it was, definitely breaking some glass ceilings uh, with just the cover 
And with it not being an issue book and just being like this joyful book that just mm-hmm. happened to feature um, teens of color. And so um, at that point, I started to think, well, is this going to be more successful than I think it will be? Like, that's a weird thought. Probably not. And it is a testament to my extreme denial that um, I was on the way home from book tours. I was driving home from California when my publishing team called me to tell me that the book had hit the New York Times list. And I literally could not understand what they were saying because I just did not believe that it would happen. And they, they had to repeat themselves several times for me to finally understand that, yeah, the book actually literally just hit the New York Times list and they're calling to say congratulations. And it was crazy and I almost drove off the road and then I had to pull <laughs> over. So um, at that point, my husband was like, oh, you know what, why don't I take over the driving for the rest of the time? But it was great. It was great. <laughs> That's great. Uh, that was your first book. And now you have your fifth book, which is in the dimple verse, uh, 10 Things I Hate About Pinky coming out July 21st. So let's start talking about this book and give me the synopsis of what it's about. Yeah, you know, I have to say, I just had like a jolt when you said fifth book. And I was like, (laughs) is it really my fifth book? Oh, my God. Where is the time gone? Um, Yeah. So 10 Things I Hate About Pinky is the third book and probably the final book in the Dimpleverse. Um, And it is basically about what happens when a rebel and the class nerd decide to fake date their way through the summer uh, at a lake house on Cape Cod. And it was so much fun to write. (laughs) And so where was where was the spark that you wanted to write another book in the Dimpleverse that this was going to be it? the, The plot? What was that initial idea? Yeah, so this was kind of an interesting one because usually um, I get kind of my character comes to me first uh, and maybe a piece of the plot, but this one didn't work like that at all. Um, I actually had this idea. I really wanted to write a book set at a lake house um, and that took place just during the summer. And I was like, I don't know who the people are going to be in this book. I just know that that's the setting I want, which was really weird for me. So I spent a lot of time kind of thinking about it. I actually originally had thought maybe it was going to be a standalone novel. And then um, my publisher asked if I would write uh, a third book in the Dimpleverse. And I said, sure. And I knew who it would be about because I had kind of talked about Pinky and Samir in the second book, There's Something About Sweetie. And so I knew it would be their book. And then I was like, oh, I I could do the the lake house fake dating book, but with Pinky and Samira, I think they would be perfect because they're so opposite and they can't stand each other. So that would be really fun. (laughs) And when you go into these books, especially when you're uh, writing romance, romantic comedies, are there, have you gone into any of your books and developed them? Like you really want to uh, frame it around some sort of, of trope or some sort of plotting device. And then you kind of build your characters around that. Or is it always, kind of character first and that's how you go when you're uh, approaching a story you know at first when we were talking about branding and knowing how to market yourself and at first when I wrote when dimple met rishi and even um from twinkle with love and there's something about sweetie my first three books I didn't really think too much about tropes or plot devices and I say tropes in the way that you say it, Brock, and, you know, there's there's no judgment there. Right, I mean, right. I feel every book has a trope. 
it's gotten this this bad uh, rap. I'm not sure why, but every every genre of fiction I think sure. um, has trope in it, uh, and romance definitely loves its tropes. So mm. I wish actually that I had realized this earlier on in my career that um, you know there are tropes that are super fun to play with. Because I think I was fairly unfocused for those first two or three books. And then um, as I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, you know, there's like there's fake dating, there's enemies to lovers. And when Dimple Met Rishi just unconsciously followed the enemies to lovers trope really mm-hmm. well. But um, I thought, OK, you know, I'm going to start writing romance with more of an eye to the trope as opposed to just the characters, which is what I did a lot when I was uh, self-publishing was I just looked at characters a lot of times. Um, but I felt like it was time to become a little bit savvier about how to write romance, because when you're writing for an audience that likes a very specific kind of story, um, you know, there has to be a happily ever after or there has to be a meet cute um, and all of these other elements, um, you want to give that audience what they're looking for so that they feel a sense of satisfaction. And there's almost a contract that you have to fulfill as a writer. So for now, um, probably starting in my fourth book on, I did start to be very savvy and very mindful and intentional about those tropes and plot devices. Whereas before that, it was more, I was just kind of going along with the flow. Mm. And this idea of having this being the third book, they're all kind of in the same same universe. How did that idea first come about? Was that something that was asked from your publisher? Did you have, when you were writing Dimple, you really wanted to, to play with certain characters more? How did it all uh, become a reality? You know, um, people often ask me that, and I wish it was like a great answer, like, these books always lived in my heart and I finally have a chance to tell. Honestly, when I sold When Double Met Rishi, I thought, you know, that was it. Uh, I actually didn't even know if they would want to buy a second book from me. And then my editor came back and said they did. So I sold them from Twinkle with Love, which is actually a standalone and doesn't go in the Dimpleverse at all. But once, um, so I sold both of those books, When Dimple Met Rishi and From Twinkle with Love before when Dimple Met Rishi released. Mm-hmm. But once When Dimple Met Rishi came out in 2017 and, and hit the list, like you said, then my publisher came back and said, hey, you know, there's actually a lot of, we're getting a lot of requests for um, more books in that universe. Would you be interested in writing more? And uh, I immediately knew I wanted to write about Ashish, who is Rishi's younger brother, because he was one of those characters where he was, he actually, in the original plot, he had like one throwaway line at the beginning of the book, and then you never saw him again. But when I sat down to write the book, he just kept reappearing. And I really fell in love with this kid because he was like a cocky jock, but he had this very deep and vulnerable side. And I was very curious about what his story would be. And so as soon as they asked me whether I would write another one, I knew it was going to be his story. So um, in that way, I guess I did... I jumped on the chance to write more, but from the very beginning, I had no idea this was going to be um, a series. But also, I will say, I think we contemporary romance authors have it a little bit easier <laughs> than, say, fantasy sure. authors because, you know, these are companion novels and I didn't have to like thread too much into the first book. I could just pick up with this new character and write a completely different story and it was fine. Whereas if I was writing like an epic fantasy, I think right. that would have been a lot harder. <laughs> yes, absolutely. No magic system you had to create right, and maintain. Exactly. 
Exactly. I mean, Atherton is kind of magic, but <laughs> <laughs> right. not that much. <laughs> and so, you know, we said that this is your fifth book. This is your second book you're releasing this year. You already have two next year and, and more, I'm sure, in the works. So how are you doing it, basically, is the, is the simple question. <laughs> what is kind of your discipline, your writing process that you're able to to produce uh, books in a regular order like this? Yeah, so this is another very popular question. Um, and I love it because, you know, some people assume that I must have superpowers or a time machine. And like, I wish I did. But really, the answer is quite boring. I don't have a day job. So I have all the time in the world to write. And I have kids, you know, who are older and much more independent. And before the virus hit, um, they were in school for seven or eight hours of the day. So it was just like being able to go into your office and be quiet and do whatever you want. And the thing that I wanted to do just happened to be writing. Mm. Um, and I, I don't even work super hard. Like um, I don't, you know, I typically don't work on weekends. Now, sometimes just because I really enjoy writing the story, I will sometimes work on weekends. But generally, I tend to work only five days a week. Um, I take vacations, you know, I disconnect completely. Um, but my... I am disciplined when I sit down to write. And so every day when I'm drafting, I tell myself I'm going to do 2,000 words a day. And five days a week, that ten, that's 10,000 words in a week, which is substantial. Mm -hmm. And you can finish a full novel in about eight weeks, which is very fast. Um, and so, you know, of course, editing and stuff takes way longer, especially me because I hate editing. <laughs> but um, that's still only a couple of months. And you can easily do two to three books a year like that. So I think for me, it's a mixture of being very lucky that my circumstances support that kind of schedule. And then also um, having the discipline that when I sit down, I'm able to like turn off the internet and turn off my phone and just write until I get to my goal. Mm. And so with uh, being a writer and everything else uh, that comes with it, have you found that you're still able to read other books as much as you would like? Yeah, I went through a phase where, and I will say occasionally I go through these phases still, where I just feel completely burned out on words. Mm -hmm. And I can't, like once I'm done with, and I went through a pretty bad phase of burnout um, last summer because I wasn't respecting my boundaries and I was taking on too much work. But um, I found that I just, once I was done with my word count for the day, I just did not want to read another thing at all. I even had problems reading emails and, and DMs and things like that. So um, I still wanted to consume story and I became very interested in podcasts and um, uh, movies and TV shows. So that's kind of how I would consume storytelling instead. And um, thankfully, currently, I am not in a slump and I have been reading a lot. Um, and I really, I'm still genre agnostic as a reader, so I will read just about anything uh, yeah, so that's really fun. I'm really glad I'm not in a slump right now. And beyond just why uh, next year you'll have your first uh, adult romance. And so was that always something when you, even back when you were self-publishing, that you always wanted to get into? Definitely, yeah. Um, I think I said earlier that when I was self-publishing, I wrote a paranormal romance series, mm. and that was um, adults, just completely adults. 
And uh, it was something I always wanted to get back to. And my agent and I had had some conversations about it. And she was like, yeah, I'm on board. You know, you can do that. Um, Let's just wait for kind of a break in your schedule. Um, And then I ended up selling like five more YA books. And I was like, well, I guess that's never going to (laughs) happen. So um, it was completely just serendipity. I can never say that word. I think I said it right. (laughs) Um, That my adult editor actually had read When Diplomat Rishi. And she's a different editor than my YA editor. Mm -hmm. And she approached my agent and said, hey, you know, I'm really looking to acquire an adult rom-com, and I think Sandhya would be perfect for it. Does she have time in her schedule? And my agent, like, picked up the phone and was like, okay, there's this adult romance opportunity, but your schedule, and I was just like, yes, I'm going to do it. I don't care. So I just felt like it was meant to be because um, I had heard of this editor before and this imprint, and I really wanted to work with them anyway. And then adult romance was like my first love. So I was like, I definitely need to need to take this opportunity and work with them. Otherwise, I knew I would regret it. That's great. Well, we'll wind things down now. And as we do, I'll ask you a few questions. The first one being, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? Okay, so... I went and researched this um, because <laughs> I knew that you were going to ask me. And of course, I completely like blanked on any book that was ever made into a movie. But um, I I think it was last spring, I watched on a flight um, The Wife that has uh, Glenn Close in it. And it was based on The Wife by Meg Wolitzer. I think that's how you say her last name. But um, this movie is incredible. It is like um, so it feels really slow and at first I was like oh I don't know if I'm gonna like this but I was engrossed in it and it's about this woman who is the wife of this very celebrated um Nobel Prize winning author and as I don't want to give too much away but as the movie um slowly unwinds you find out that uh everything is not as it seems to be and she has a much bigger role in the movie than you originally think she will it was just so smart and so incredible. I highly recommend it. I just looked it up as you were talking. I'm, I don't even recognize this. I don't think I've ever heard of it before. Oh, it's so good. And it was recommended to me by a friend, which is how I heard about it. And I was like, oh, okay, interesting. I'll read it. You know, And, and I just was completely sucked in. It was so good. Great. All right. So the next question, is there a book or a series you're willing to admit you've either never read or never finished? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay. So I really feel like I'm going to get canceled for this, but (laughs) I have never finished Harry Potter. I only read the first book. (laughs) So, and it's, it's the most popular answer on this podcast to that question. No way. So you you don't, you have nothing to feel bad about. There are are many of you. I would say (laughs) what? I feel like such a fake author when I when I have to admit that, and I have gotten so many like glares and death death glances over that. But yeah, <laughs> I would say yeah, I would say about a third of all the guests that I've had on, that's what they answer. So, by wow, no means. oh, I feel so much better. That's great. <laughs> and then finally, what is the last great book that you've read? Oh my gosh, uh, I had a really hard time with this one too. But I think I'm going to go with Jasmine Guillory's The Proposal. Um, I love Jasmine. Like I love her as a person, but also she is just one of the best, uh, adult romance authors we have right now, I think. So definitely that for adult romance and then for, um, 
YA, I will say A Song Below Water by Bethany C. Morrow, mm-hmm. which features um, black sirens in, in a modern day Portland, which is just amazing. So, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> well, Sanja, uh, 10 Things I Hate About Pinky comes out on July the 1st. Congratulations. And I wish you this book and all the books you'll have for us in the future all the best. Thank you so much, Brock. It was a pleasure being here. And that does it for this week's episode. I want to thank Sonia Menon for joining me. Again, her latest book, 10 Things I Hate About Pinky, will be out on July 21st. Hope you're checking that out, as well as her other books. There'll be a link to that in the notes to bookshop.org, which is a great site I hope you are supporting because it supports independent booksellers. Hope you also support this podcast by checking out some of the other episodes like and subscribe i'm brock shelley and until next time keep reading